welcome back. In today's episode, I am reading uh, Neville Goddard's lecture from 1965, and it is titled, The Bible is the Word of God. Tonight's subject is, The Bible is the Word of God. And we are warned not to change it, not to add to it, not to take from it. Just leave it as it is. It will prove itself in time that it's for our instruction. So we open the Bible, say it fell upon the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians. And you and I read these words, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Verse 10. As we are seated here tonight, and as I am standing here tonight, we are carrying always in our bodies the death of Jesus. And the reason behind it all is that we may also carry the life of Jesus in our bodies, that it may all be manifested in us. Well, we read this and we wonder, what is it all about? Then the death of Jesus must be a creative act, and that we are going to share this creativity with him. So then Blake makes a statement, Unless I die, thou canst not live. But if I die, I shall rise again, and thou with me. So actually we are carrying in our bodies the death of Jesus, and the purpose behind it all is that he will awaken in us, and we will share with him the life of Jesus. Well, let us look at it through different eyes tonight. I say Jesus Christ is a holy supernatural being, Everything said of him, everything written about him, everything about him, everything he is supposed to have uttered, everything that he is supposed to have experienced, everything, is experienced supernaturally. His birth, his resurrection, his death, his discovery of himself as God the Father, his ascension into heaven, the seal of the Holy Spirit upon him, his walking on the water, his feeding of the thousands, the curing of unnumbered people of all kinds of disease, the blind, the lame, the halt, the withered. Everything recorded of him is experienced supernaturally, but experienced in these bodies where we carry his death. So always in these bodies we carry the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in these bodies. You and I are born normally in this world, born of normal parents, where a man knew a woman, and the result was a child, and you are that child. Grown now to manhood, womanhood, this is how the story starts. And here in us, this normal being, is a being that is a supernatural being. Now, does the Bible throw any light upon it? The seed plot of the entire Bible in Genesis and Genesis begins. In the beginning, God, and it ends in a coffin in Egypt. Verse 1 1 and 50 26. So, God is in a coffin. Am I that coffin? For if I am carrying in my body the death of Jesus, I must be that coffin spoken of in Genesis. Now we are told it's a sarcophagus, it's a limestone coffin that is supposed to consume the flesh and turn it into dust. So God is put into this coffin that consumes him and turns him into dust. And the great miracle, thou turned into dust, he shall rise and I with him, that I am the coffin in which he is buried. Now let us turn to the sixth chapter of John, which we may almost give a name to it and call it the chapter of session. For in this chapter they couldn't understand him. 
and we are told the disciples left him never to walk with him again and only the twelve remained he said to them would you also go peter came or peter became the spokesman and peter said to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the holy one of god verse sixty seven what a progression we have believed it that was simply a venture in faith the most fantastic story in the world was told and they believed it and believing it after a while they came to know it from experience no more faith faith was turned into knowledge knowledge based upon something that was solid solid facts of personal experience they knew and knew then that he was a holy one of god but who is he if he is buried in me i have to find him in me he has to rise in me and rise as my very being and i know myself as the holy one of god it can't be another for if i if always i carry in my body the death of jesus and do it for a purpose so that the life of jesus may also be manifest in my body well then he has to awaken in me all that he foretold though it seemed the most impossible thing in this world i must know it from experience so i became one of those who believed it i hope everyone here became one of those who believed it it's the most impossible story in the world the story is this in essence it's god's purpose to give himself to you individually as though there were no other in the world just god and you believe this and this most impossible story not only becomes believable but possible and it takes the sun to reveal to you how it really is now everything told in this story is true but it's not as it's taught from the pulpits of the world it is true supernaturally now it is not recorded in our gospels in chronological order some scholars believe that maybe the parchments before they were copied were dislocated either dropped and put together and the one who copied them did not correct it and copy them as they were present as they were presented because they are not in the same chronological order in the four gospels but i can give you the chronological order if it's the same chronological order for all of us and i do not see why it shouldn't be because a little child forming itself in the womb of woman i am not a biologist i am not a scientist i know nothing of the growth of the embryo but i dare say it follows an identical pattern do the hands come before the feet i don't know do the feet come before the hands i don't know do they come all together or do they come together what portions appear i'm quite sure our scientists throughout the years studying this growth of the embryo would know if they saw one exactly at what moment in time of the nine months it is they should know if i gave them say the month growth or the five month growth or the seven month growth they should know looking at it just how far along it is in that process of nine months they should know now if this thing is a growth of christ in me for i am carrying his death in me that i may have manifested in my body his life well these things that happen in scripture as are recorded they should have a definite pattern so that certain things should come first and other things should follow but i can't tell you or but i can tell you in this sixth chapter unless you eat my body and drink my blood 
you have no life in you. But if you eat my body and drink my blood, you have eternal life. And I will raise you up at the last day, John 6.53. Well, if he is buried in me, and I am the limestone coffin spoken of in scripture that consumes the flesh, I must eat his flesh that's buried in me. I am his coffin. As I absorb him and feast upon his ideas and feast upon the very being himself, then he becomes alive in me. This is the great mystery, the meaning of life through death. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. The mystery of life through death, John twelve twenty four. So his death was not some willful self-mutilization, but a creative act in which I share. He buried himself in me, and I am the limestone coffin that consumes him. As I consume him and turn him into dust, this infinite power rises in me, and I am he, and we rise together. Now, in this sixth chapter, he tells the story of feeding five thousand. He said, have them all sit down. He tells the story of walking on the water. He said, be not afraid, it is I. Well, chronologically speaking, I can tell you when it took place in my case. For back in, in 1940, yeah, 1948, I walked upon the water. But it was a supernatural act. I had no knowledge of this. I went to a party, and strangely enough, it was a party given by a very prominent New York judge in East Hampton, Long Island. At this party, a huge crowd came. He was introducing, he should not have, because it was already introduced, oh, maybe years before, but he was introducing Bacardi rum. He had a huge buffet, and everything was, naturally, on the judge, and so we had a delightful evening, and I went home. And that night, sleeping at my friend's home, because I was a household guest for five days at my friend's house, who was now gone from this level, that night I found myself on the water. It wasn't frozen, water, just like the water in your bathtub. And suddenly, out of the nowhere, came a goose, a huge goose, the size of a swan. But it was not a swan, it was a goose. I took out from nowhere a very, very thin silver chain and slipped it over its head and I held the chain. The goose took off and became my power and pulled me all over this fabulous area of water. I didn't guide it. I simply remained standing perfectly still while this thing moved me all over the water. And then I'm perfectly still and on the surface of the water. So here I know the act is a supernatural act. Now, what is the silver chain? If you read the third chapter of the Song of Songs, when Solomon made himself this wonderful setup, this chariot, and he used silver and he used gold and he used purple, silver, in all of the language of symbolism, is simply knowledge. So in this statement, in the sixth chapter of John, we believe and we have come to know. So that was the night of knowing of the truth of the statement of walking on the water. Here I took this and slipped it over the head of a goose, and the goose in symbolism is a symbol of the Holy Ghost, and that's what the goose is. So here I know from experience that everything said in this is supernatural. In 1945, two years before, coming through the Caribbean Sea, 
I felt myself lifted up and hear an infinite crowd. Well, the Bible tells me 5,000. It seems bigger than that to me, but we'll say 5,000. But they were all seated, just as the Bible tells me they were seated. Now, did I break bread and fish to give them? No, I did nothing. But you're told in Scripture he fed them to their fill, and then took up twelve baskets after he fed them to fill, or he fed them to their fill. How would I feel, or how would I feed the blind, the lame, the halt, the dumb, the deaf? How would I? What kind of food would I put before them that would really satisfy them? Well, we read now the thirty-fifth chapter of the book of Isaiah. And then the blind and those who have no eyes shall see, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And the lame shall leap like hearts, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing for joy. Verse 5. What food would I give the blind but the feast upon or but to feast upon sight, that he's never seen so perfectly in his life? What food would I give the deaf but to unstop his ears so he can hear sounds beyond the wildest dream of man? What would I give to the lame but to let him leap like the heart? And so, I feed them all with everything they want. They don't come to a table where they are all fed on the same food. They feed on their heart's desire, and they feed to their fill. So that there's no unsatisfied desire to frustrate the believer. When I go by, everyone is made, or, or when I go by, everyone is made perfect, and this heavenly course sings out, it is finished. I could take this, and if the same chronological order holds good for the birth of the spiritual man, that undoubtedly holds good for the physical man, then the story as recorded in scripture is not chronologically correct. No criticism, I do not say for one moment the attempt to write it in chronological order. They were simply recording the visions, and they did it as they thought best. But my memory is very vivid. I recall the day in summer of 48, when this happened in Long Island in East Hampton. I recall the late spring, coming through the Caribbean of 46, when the feast took place. It was the Messianic feast, but because in the 14th chapter of the book of Luke, when he gives his feast and invites all of the promised prominent people, and they all give an excuse, one bought five yoke of oxen. He had to go and examine them. One bought a piece of land, and he had to go and examine it, asked to be excused. One got married and said he couldn't come because he was married. So he said, go into the highways and the hedges and bring everyone, the poor, the lame, the halt, the withered, bring them all. For they come to Messiah's feast, verses 16 through 22. So all these experiences. As we are told, I carry in my body the death of Jesus so that I may actually experience in my body the life of Jesus. So I read the story of Jesus and these things he is supposed to have experienced, and these things are told about him. And suddenly these things I am experiencing. Excuse me, and therefore I know the truth of Scripture, this fourth chapter, the tenth verse of Second Corinthians. I am carrying his death in my body. But this mysterious death was a creative act. Not some strange thing where he was murdered on a tree or murdered on some cross of wood. This body is his cross on which he is buried. He's crucified here. And in this limestone coffin, he was placed and he's becoming alive 
based upon the experiences of Scripture. For as I experience these things supernaturally, I know he is a supernatural being. As he rises in me, he is rising into an entirely different world, a supernatural world, where everything becomes subject to my imaginative power. So I must go through the entire story of him and see how these things unfold in me. I have tried to relate them chronologically, and they do not fit with my experience. My experience differs chronologically. My experiences do not differ from the stories of Scripture, only as to how they happen and where they happen. Now there's no mention of the goose in Scripture, but I know from my own case how I slipped it over its head. And this wonderful, beautiful goose pulled me. That was propellant power and pulled me all over this fabulous body of water. I'm standing erect, holding a thin, thin little chain. It was so thin a lady could wear it around her neck as an ornament. It was so thin. For many a lady wears a far thicker chain than that which I held in my hand. I simply slipped it as a noose over the head, and I held it. And it took off, and there I am, standing perfectly still, being pulled all over. It was not ice, it was not a frozen lake, it was water. So I know everything said of him is supernatural. Jesus Christ is wholly supernatural, belongs to an entirely different world, but buries himself in these coffins. And having gone through the hell, which is hell, for this is hell, life on earth is hell. The horrors that we pass through, these are the fires of affliction. Don't think of any other greater hell than hell on earth. This is it. Where a man is poor and unwanted because of his poverty, where a man is dispossessed because he can't pay his rent, where he can't find a piece of bread and he's embarrassed to beg and he cannot steal, he will not steal and slowly starves, isn't that hell? All the things that happen to man in this world, this is the hell of hells. Blake saw it so clearly when he said, do not let yourself be intimidated by the horror of the world. Everything is ordered and correct and must fulfill its destiny in order to achieve perfection. You follow this course, you take this path, and it will reveal to you this ever-increasing beauty of the world. Modern Painting, Blake to Max Becca. And in the very end, you will also know why you are put through this entire purpose in harmony with Scripture. I have tried you in the furnaces of affliction. For my own sake I did it, for my own sake, for how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another, Isaiah 48.10. Now this is the same chapter, the sixth chapter of John, which seems to be the mood of the night. He tells them of being lifted up. He uses many examples of it, and he goes into it all, or into it, all in John, in other portions of John. So what I did... I took the third of John, where it first begins the theme of being lifted up. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 14. When you have lifted me up, so he identifies himself with the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, John 8.28. So here he equates himself with the Son of Man. Now he goes on, and when this Son of Man is lifted up, you will know that you are he. I am the son of man. You are the son of man. But until this coffin eats the flesh of Jesus Christ and actually reduces it to dust, it will not spring. 
so everything that is taking place in your world is to reduce the Son of Man. But until this coffin eats the flesh of Jesus Christ and actually reduces it to dust, it will not spring. So everything that is taking place in your world is to reduce the Son of Man, who is Jesus Christ, to dust in you. For you are the coffin, you are the limestone coffin that consumes the flesh and turns it to dust. And from the ashes springs, like the phoenix, this being beyond the wildest dream of man that is God. And how do you know? Read the scripture and see if he's coming alive within you. Well, if he comes alive within you, and he will, for he cannot fail, all the things said of Jesus Christ you begin to experience. But you don't go out and brag about it, and take a blind man on this level and give him eyes, and take a man on this level and do something to him. Don't think these things happen. The blind are there, for when I came upon that scene, there were blind, there were deaf, there were people who had no arms, people who had no feet. They were completely, I would say, of the dregs of the world. And as I walked by, everyone who couldn't see saw, and those who couldn't hear, they heard, and those who couldn't walk, they jumped. But when I came by, they were all seated, everyone was seated, as told in scripture. Maybe them, make them all sit down. As I walked, everyone was made perfect. So I know the truth of what I'm talking about. He is a supernatural being. And all the things said about him are supernaturally experienced. Not here at all. So this said to him, Are you not Jesus, the son of Joseph, and your father and mother we know? How do you say that you came down from heaven? John 6.42 It seemed such a stupid thing that you of all people and in our neighborhood, where we know you from the time that you were born, they knew not the scripture. They didn't know that in the body of every child, born of woman, that Jesus Christ is buried, that God is actually in every child born of woman. They didn't know that in this one they knew so well. They knew the father well. They knew the mother well. They knew the brothers. They named the four brothers and speak of sisters, at least plural, and didn't know that as a man walks the face of this earth, suddenly that which was reduced in him to dust over a stretch of time, of which they were totally unaware, for he didn't begin in a woman's womb a few years before. They thought he did. They knew that garment, but they did not know the soul of that man, who had experienced that go back in time beyond the wildest dream of man. And suddenly something is happening in him, and he's telling what is happening in him. And being a good student of scripture, he goes back into the ancient scripture and shows them where it was foretold these things would happen. They laughed at him because that's not the kind of Messiah they were looking for. They were looking for some strange thing to come out of space and simply conquer the enemy of Israel and become a king, an earthly king. He said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, that the flesh profiteth nothing, the spirit makes alive. 1 Corinthians 15.50 he speaks only of something that's coming alive in man, that is, an external being forever and forever, a mighty being. And it rises just like the serpent that Moses lifted up upon that rod of his, a flaming serpent. 
should it surprise you to look into that mirror and see man and then to think that something other than what you see reflected in that mirror is going to come out of you would it disturb you to know that your face will be human your hands human your feet human but it's not going to be that body if you look at a caterpillar could you ever predict the fruit which is a butterfly does a butterfly have any feeling towards the caterpillar which was its womb it was its tomb and its womb and out comes a butterfly a painted butterfly from a caterpillar well here are these forms and these forms are giving birth to that which is buried within it that which was buried within it as told in scripture is a fiery serpent the very being that fell is a being that that will rise the fiery serpent and you do rise just like a serpent so here i do not know whether the chronological order is necessary or not i only know from my own experience these things i have experienced and therefore i know that the story is true for i know no one goes out to the lake here and walks on the water i know that no one suddenly becomes a serpent and moves up on some little rod like that and yet everything told in scripture is true for it belongs to an entirely different world you are a being that is not of earth you don't move around as slowly as we move and the fastest motion known to man with his rockets would be like a snail compared to that for there you are entirely different a being where everything is subject to your creative power so the creative power buried in you which the world weeps about and calls it a tragedy a horrible tragedy that he was crucified and it was not a tragedy at all we share his creativity in his death it was a deliberate act to extend his power of creation and he took upon himself the form of man and became obedient unto death even this death upon the cross of man philippians two seven so this is the story i must give birth to christ you must give birth to christ for he dies in me i must bring forth is there some scriptural passage for it the third chapter the sixteenth verse of Galatians. there you read the story of the promise made to abraham and this promise was that he was he would bring forth and paul very cleverly noticed when he read that passage in genesis that it was singular it wasn't plural and he drew our attention to the fact that the word is offspring and not offspring referring to many but to your offspring which is christ these are the words so he's addressing you he's addressing me the promise is made to you the promise is made to me that i must bring forth this offspring which is christ and may i tell you when you bring him forth it's not another it's yourself he so completely gave himself to you there aren't two of you anymore he tore down the wall of partition between you and there is only one now and you are he ephesians two fourteen. so god's purpose is completed to give himself to you so completely that there really aren't even two of you you and god just you well how would i know it only his son can prove how true it is as i said earlier it takes the son to reveal to me how true this promise is so all of a sudden his son comes before me and he calls me father i look into the eyes of a being that i thought died thousands of years ago that scripture tells me he's god's only son 
and his name is David, Psalm 2-7. As I look into his face and he calls me father, I know he was always my son. So in that one act, God revealed that he gave me himself, for he gave me his son as my son. So here, when you read the scripture hereafter, let no one tell you that Jesus Christ is other than the one that became you. He became you when you are his tomb, you are his coffin. On this body he is crucified, and you will eat him. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. You'll eat him and turn him into dust. From that dust he will rise within you as you. Then all said about him in the story of the Gospels you will experience, and you will experience every one supernaturally. You come back and you wonder, how can this thing be, that I walked upon water? Yes, I did. That I walked all over. Yes, I did. That I could feed 5,000 people and feed them with such magic food that the blind could receive sight, and the deaf would hear, and the lame would leap for joy, and those who were dumb would sing praise. Yes, I did that. And then I know what kind of feast that he gave. He didn't take five little loaves of bread and two fishes on this level and feed 5,000, in spite of our unnumbered tens of thousands of ministers who would try, in some way to justify it, that couldn't satisfy the blind, couldn't satisfy the dumb, couldn't satisfy those who were maimed. I sent into the highways and the hedges and brought in everything that was in need and fed them. I fed them with myself, for I did not break bread as i walked by everyone was made perfect and when they all became perfect that heavenly chorus has simply sang my ascent at the very end it exulted and said it is finished the feast is over and they were all made perfect i returned to the garment for things were not yet completed for in that day it was forty-six i hadn't yet walked upon the water and i hadn't yet been resurrected or been born from above nor did i find david I had not yet found David. I knew nothing of the true fatherhood of God. I had not ascended like a serpent into the wilderness. And the dove had not yet descended. So it was unfinished business to which I returned and came back into the same coffin, where in the beginning Jesus Christ laid himself down to dream. As he dreamed, he dreamed. Yes, he dreamed. He's dreaming that he's me. And then the dream really took on, and then I consumed him. I took all of his ideas, and I fed upon them, feeding upon the ideas and his teaching. Everything I ate him. As I ate him, I turned him into the very dust within me, and he rises from that dust, and now he's risen from that dust, and all the stories is recorded in Scripture. Now let us go into the silence. All right, so there we have Neville Goddard's lecture from 1965 titled, The Bible is the Word of God. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode, and I will see you next time. Bye now.